So we have the Bible, right? We know we, we, we say we believe the Bible, um, but when it comes to the books of the Bible, the canonization of the Bible, uh, you know, there, we, get, we have to clarify that because there's other books that people say are the Bible. They, they say there's books that are just as inspired. And uh, so we're going to talk about those books. Those books are called the Apocrypha. Have you ever put your hand up if you've heard of the Apocrypha? Okay, the Apocryphal books. They are additional books that are found in the Roman Catholic Bibles. They are not inspired scripture. They're not inspired books. So they're non-canonical books. But the Apocrypha, it means concealed or it means hidden. That's what it means in Greek. And there were 15 of these books that were written during the intertestamental period. That was the 400 silent years from Malachi to when John the Baptist came on the scene to start preaching. But it was this time between the Testaments. And these apocryphal books, they were never considered to be part of Jewish canon. Historically, they never were. Matter of fact, the first century Council of Jamnia, which was a meeting of Jewish scholars, they rejected them. And most church fathers rejected these books as well. To top that off, none of the apocryphal books in and of themselves claim divine inspiration or divine authority. Matter of fact, they're filled with heresy. And their literature style is more of fantasy than anything else. To put it quite simply, they are not the word of God. We have 66 books in our, in our authorized version of the Bible. That's the Bible. Now, we're going to come back to that thought in a minute. But I'll give you the list of the apocryphal books. Uh, starting with the oldest one, the letter of Jeremiah, 200 B.C. That Another one dated 200 B.C. is the book of Tobit. Uh, Tobit was blind, and he has his sight returned by rubbing uh, fish gallbladder on his eyes, and then his sight comes back. So those are some of the types of stories that you hear in the book of Tobit. First, Esdras in 150 B.C., the book of Judith in 150 B.C. Now, Judith, in this book, she gives a speech. She gives a little sermonette to the nation of Israel not to submit to the Assyrians. And then it's said that she cuts off the head of an Assyrian general. That makes for an exciting story, but it's not Bible. In 150 B.C., we have the book uh, of the prayer of Manasseh. In 132 BC, uh, there was the book of Ecclesiasticus or Syrah. In 130 BC, there were it's a book titled The Additions to Esther. And this book came out because the, in the book of Esther, the word God is not mentioned. It's God working behind the scenes and there's a few different uh, reasons that uh, preachers or scholars or theologians have come up with that. But and so this book now, this additions to Esther now and includes 
the, the name, uh, you know, God in there. But it's not the word of God. In 110 B.C., 1st Maccabees is written. In 100 B.C., 2nd Maccabees is written. And uh, Josiah missed the story about the fish. That I saved. I had all that. I had that note just for you. Not to circle back to it. I don't, I don't want you to miss it. It's a fisherman story. Welcome. Uh, the prayer of Azariah was written in 100 B.C. Uh, that's placed right after Daniel 3.23. It's the song uh, three Hebrew poets sang. That's what that book's supposed to contain. In 100 B.C., the book of Susanna was written. It's considered Daniel chapter 13. Uh, Susanna, she is accused of adultery. And so the two accusers of Susanna are brought before Daniel. And the accuser's stories don't match up, so Daniel has to be headed. <laughs> now, it's not Bible. It's curious stories like this. Uh, in 100 B.C., Bell and the Dragon were written. That's considered to be Daniel chapter 14, except it's not. <laughs> 108 A.D., the book of Barak. I'm sorry to say Barak, <laughs> but uh, that, that book's curious because it has, and here's the Roman Catholic liking, prayers for the dead. If you've been brought up Roman Catholic or you have studied the Roman Catholic religion at all, you offer up prayers to dead people, for dead people, and a saint in Roman Catholic tradition is considered a dead person. The total flipping of what true biblical Christians are. Living people. Living people. And we pray for living people. Okay, we pray to a living God. Uh, in 100 AD, the uh, second Esdras was written. In 30, actually that was dated 100 A.D. Did I say it? And finally, the book of Solomon, or, or the wisdom of Solomon, or sometimes called the book of wisdom. So that is the list of the 15 main apocryphal books that were in between the Testaments during those 400 silent years. Was that, that wasn't too boring, was it? Got a little bit out of that. We said earlier the Jews never accepted those books. Baptists never accepted those books. And no true Bible believer ever accepted those books. Most Protestants don't accept those books. However, that's a slippery slope because some are kind of leaning toward it. Some will say, well, they're useful for some areas of life. And so, you know, that's a slippery slope. If God has given us all things pertaining to life and godliness, and we have it in our authorized version, why do we need something else? This brings us back to the point of, remember we talked about a few weeks ago, sola scriptura or prima scriptura. That's theological for, is the Bible your sole authority? Or is the Bible your primary authority? 
but there's kind of some other secondary authorities that we can kind of go with too. You see the sleight of hand? They won't say they're, they won't say we don't believe the Bible. They'll just very craftily say Bibles are primary source, but other books can be just as authoritative. No. The Bible is our final and sole authority. I'm not going to open up this book and try to figure out how to change my oil. I'll call a mechanic or my wife. She figure these things out quicker than I can. I am not going to go to this book to try to figure out how to build a house. But you know what I can go to this book to find out? How to build my spiritual house. How to get my house in order. It has everything in it that we need to live our life for God. We don't need this idea of prima scriptura. The Roman Catholic Church officially has accepted 12 of the 15 apocryphal books. They do not accept first and second Esdras and the prayer of Manasseh. They do not accept those three books, but they accept the other 12. The Apocrypha are included in the following manuscripts. The Septuagint contains all of them, but second Esdras. When you see LXX, that refers to the so-called Septuagint. We'll end up doing a lesson on the Septuagint at a later point, so we're not going to open that can. But the LXX is the Roman numeral for 70. And it is said, supposedly, to be translated by 70 Jews. That's the Septuagint, the LXX, the Roman numeral for 70. It's the translation of the Hebrew Old Testament in degree. And it is supposedly what Jesus and the Twelve Apostles quoted from. It contains ten complete apocryphal books, and I believe five incomplete. That's the so-called Septuagint. Straight out of Alexandria, Egypt, we have the manuscript Alexandrius. It also contains, it contains the apocryphal books plus two more books. Not only 1st and 2nd Maccabees, but it includes 3rd and 4th Maccabees. Again, not inspired scripture, but considered concealed or hidden books, apocryphal books. Uh, we'll end up doing a lesson on the line of manuscripts. We have a Bible that doesn't come out of Alexandria, Egypt. We have a line of manuscripts that we trace that comes out of Antioch. And it's called the Antiochian text, the majority text, among other things. Um, and we're just making it simple tonight on purpose to point out that Alex, uh, you got a text out of Alexandria, Egypt, uh, that we just looked at, Alexandrianus. And then Vaticanus as well. 
Vaticanus was found in the Vatican Library in 1481. It was produced in Egypt, and it contains the apocryphal books, minus 1st and 2nd Maccabees and the Prayer of Benedict. Walking hand-in-hand hand with Vaticanus would be Codex Sinaiticus, also out of, guess where? Egypt. This was found in St. Catherine's Monastery in a trash bin in, 18, in the 1800s, I believe. This came out of Egypt, and they contained the apocryphal book. There is another manuscript called Ephraimi Restrictus. It was named after St. Ephraim, the Syrian. St. Ephraim, the, the, the Syrian, was considered a venerable father. That is Roman Catholic lingo for uh, a canonized Roman Catholic monk. You're real high up. You get to get venerated. Again, tying in with, okay, you're dead. Now we venerate you. We pray to you. We worship you. And that whole idea. He's a sainted monk. The old venerable father, St. Ephraim the Syrian. Well, this uh, Ephraim Rescriptus manuscript that contains uh, the Book of Wisdom and the, and the Book of Ecclesiasticus, which is also named, known as Sirach. Another manuscript that you've probably heard of that contains some of the Apocrypha, but not all of it, is the Dead Sea Scroll. Finally, the Church Fathers, some of their writings... Uh, they quote from Irenaeus, for example. He quotes from the Book of Wisdom. Clement of Alexandria, 2nd Esdras. Origen included 2nd Esdras, Maccabees, and the letter of Jeremiah as, as a canonical. Jerome, after a bit of persuasion, he added the Book of Tobit, Judith, additions to Esther, the prayer of Azariah, the Book of Susanna, Bell the Dragon. The most influential was Augustine. He greatly influenced the councils of Hippo and the councils at Carthage. And he worked overtime to oppress any opposition against them. That's a little history on where those manuscripts or where those apocryphal books came from. We talked about the Council of Trent before. The Council of Trent took place in Trento, Italy, and it was a series of councils that the Roman Catholic Church put together that ran from 1543 to 1546. And on April 8th of 1546 at the Council of Trent, that is when the Roman Catholic Church officially canonized the Apocrypha. Why? What was the big fight that was going on? What did Martin Luther just light a flame to? The Protestant Reformation. 
And what was the whole idea behind the Protestant Reformation? Sola Scriptura. So these councils of Trent, all this is going on in 1543 to 1546 with these councils in Trento, Italy, because the big fight was it's a counter to the Reformation. Well, if we're going to say Sola Scriptura, well, golly, we better get some of these books canonized so that we can say this is scripture. And that's exactly what they did. They canonized, the Roman Catholic Church canonized these books. And by adding the Apocrypha, just like that, they produced scripture. Except they really didn't. The Roman Catholic Council resolved by saying this. Listen to this quote. If anyone receives not as sacred and canonical the said books entire with all their parts, this would be the 12 apocryphal books that they're canonizing, as they have been used to be read in the Catholic Church, let him be anathema. The Roman Catholic Church said, if you don't believe that those books are scripture, may you be damned and accursed to hell. You're anathema. Well, may I say to you tonight on the authority of the Bible, the Holy Bible, those books are not inspired and they're not canonical. And thank God that I can say that now because I can't tell you if I'd have the guts to say it in 1546. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it great to look back on history and say, yeah, by the authority and the power of the word of God, except you had people dying for saying what I said really. Comfortable pews you're sitting on tonight, huh? <laughs> yeah. Nice com carpet and pulpit brief. Yeah. Yeah. Times are different. Times are different. Some of the heretical doctrines that were found in the Apocrypha, a few examples are Second Maccabees taught the doctrine of purgatory. So when you take Books that aren't scripture. And you get a bunch of guys in some Romanish garb and priestly outfits. And you say, we're going to make this poof appear as scripture. Now you can say, well, we go by scripture and this is our scripture. And it says purgatory is real. Purgatory isn't real. It's something they made up. Ecclesiasticus says that you are saved by giving of alms. You give money to the poor and you help the poor. You can go to catholiccharitiesusa.org Go ahead and look it up. And you can get involved with charitable work through the Roman Catholic Church as a way of earning your salvation 
because Ecclesiasticus teaches you can be saved by the giving of alms. Why not just sign up for as many random acts of charity as you can? Again, the proverbial card before the horse. Why do we do good works? Because we are saved. Doesn't the Bible say we are saved unto good works? But we're not saved because of them. Another damnable doctrine, horrible doctrine to believe in 2 Maccabees, teaches that suicide is okay. It says, die manfully, then to come into the hands of the wicked. and goes into more detail on it. The book of wisdom teaches reincarnation. That book teaches that lying is okay. It teaches that incantations are okay. Does it sound like Holy Bible to you? But you know what we have that we sometimes take for granted? People died over this book. People were a little flame over this book. We get to sit comfortably in an air-conditioned church with the Holy Bible right in our lap. You had scribes and you had copyists and you had translators that before they picked the pen up to copy or transcribe the word of God, they would bathe. I'm not talking about taking a shower before you come to church. I'm talking about before you sit down to read the word of God, write a sermon note, or do a little devotion, you go and bathe. I'm not saying you got to do that. All I'm saying is they did that out of reverence and respect for, you know what? We're dealing with the word of God. There was a reverence and there was a respect for it. Today, it's just a book. That's what the college campuses will teach you, college professors. So we take for granted because we can learn the Bible. We are an evangelistic church. We are a, a Bible teaching church where you can take for granted you young people know more Bible than most of the young people in America. It's not like this everywhere. Not this safe everywhere. You see how people can get duped into believing lies? You and I think, well, how can that ever happen? It happened. We can't take for granted what we have. Now, the Council of Trent did not approve the book of 2nd Esdras. Anybody want to guess why? Isn't it nice to be able to pick and choose books that you want to canonize? Because in the 7th chapter, in the 105th verse, it speaks against prayers for the dead. Now, isn't that something? They can pick and choose which ones they want to ascribe inspiration to. 
Now, let's switch gears. These apocryphal books, they were included in early English versions. Back then, everybody was Catholic, where everybody came out of the Roman Catholic Church for the most part. And so these books were generally accepted. They were mainly accepted for their historical value, and they were mainly presented as an historical document. Only the Roman Catholic Church accepted them as inspired canonical scripture. They were included for careful study and for a more purposeful analysis of scripture, but no Bible believer believed it was scripture. But that was, look, we're taking a step back in time. That is what it was like during that time. We don't want to strain it in that, but I want you to understand the times we live in are different times. We don't have it in our Bible. But the earlier versions did. In 1525, Tyndale Bible placed the Apocrypha separated from the Testaments as uninspired. In 1535, Coverdale's Bible included, here's what Coverdale's Bible said in the foreword, Apocrypha, the books and treaties, which among the fathers of old, are not reckoned to be of authority with the other books of the Bible, neither are they found in the canon of the Hebrews. No Hebrew Bible, nothing. That's what was in the foreword. In 1535 in Coverdale's Bible. 1537, the Matthews Bible. It was put between the Old and the New Testament. 1539, Tavernier's Bible, same thing. 1560, the Geneva Bible, same thing in between the Testament. 1668, the Bishop's Bible. The Apocrypha were placed in between the Old and the New Testament. And now finally we get to the 1611 authorized version. The Apocrypha was placed between the Old and the New Testament. And so the scholarship only crowd, I have to use that term because they call us a name, King James only uses. The scholarship only crowd will say to you, my poor King James only brother, my poor King James only sister. I, I'm inserting sarcasm by way of making emphasis you do know that the apocryphal was in the original 1611 don't you as if i've never heard that before and as if you've never heard that before of course it was in the 1611 bible and it was in all it was in most of the other versions before that we just gave one of we just gave a few of the main reasons why but it was never inspired scripture. They don't tell you this. All of the translators completely rejected the Apocrypha as inspired scripture. Not one of them is in the Hebrew language. The Apocrypha writers, they wrote in Aramaic and in Greek. Jewish people were very strict with their language. 
Hebrew alone was used by the pens of Old Testament writers. As a result, none of these books were acknowledged as Holy Scripture by the Jewish church. The early church fathers most rejected any claim of inspiration, if not all of them, even if some were known to quote them. Early church fathers weren't using it for sermon prep. I mean, I did tonight, but trying to get a point across regarding under getting an understanding of the Apocrypha. During the first four centuries of the church, the Apocrypha was never allowed to be placed among sacred scripture. Even when there was question, they were never considered on equal footing as other Old Testament books. They were simply put between the Testaments as a historical document. No one believed that they were inspired. No Bible believer. Like we said before, the reason being, among others, it contained heretical teachings of prayers for the dead, Sinless perfection, purgatory, and it gives allowances for lying, suicide, assassination, and magic. None of which our holy God allows in his holy Bible. Now, why those scholars or theologians or Bible correctors or whatever name you want to ascribe to them, why they don't tell you that, I don't know. But all of that is true. It's just easier to say, you do know that the Apocrypha is in the original 1611 authorized version. Don't you? No, thank you for that. All of the translators did was follow the precedent. It was earlier, earlier established, and that precedent was including those apocryphal books in between the Old and the New Testament. Okay. Instead of placing them within the Old Testament like the Dewey Reams Catholic Bible. The, New, the King James translators didn't insert after Daniel 3 apocryphal book. The King James translators didn't add Daniel 13, Daniel, Daniel 14, added in the Old Testament. No, they were put in the center. Now, I'm drawing out this point because it's important. Let me go back. I want to see something right quick. Okay. You get to Daniel 3, verse number 23, 
you will not find the prayer of Azariah in your original 1611. If you got a copy of it, you will not find the prayer of Azariah. That, those apocryphal books will be placed in between testaments. When you get toward the end of Daniel, you will not find, you will not flip over and find the book of Susanna. When you get done with the book of Susanna, you will not flip the next page and come to the book of Bell and the Dragon. When you are done reading the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament, the King James Bible, you will not flip the page and see it titled Prayers for the Dead. That would be putting them within scripture. It's not scripture. They followed a precedent. They put them in between the testaments. Why is that important? It's important because of this. The manuscripts that have the apocryphal books mentioned in them. You know where they come out of? Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandrius. Sinaiticus. Codex Vaticanus. You know where all those manuscripts are found? Within the pages of scripture. Which is where the apocryphal books came from. All those manuscripts quoted. Went through that history of that. So I'm trying to draw out this point. We have a pure line of manuscripts. And those apocryphal books don't come from that line. That's why they follow the precedent. And they put them between. The Testaments. Between the Testaments. They just followed the precedent. It was for historical reasons. Not for. Saying it was inspired. Scripture. The omission. Of the apocryphal books. In between the Testaments of the King James Bible. Began in 1629. And by 1827. They were permanently excluded. Get Romans 9. I'm going to show you just how spiritual this book is. And you and I can't figure it out if we try to decide. There's a faith aspect to believing that we've got God's Preserved word in our land. So get Romans 9. Hold your spot. And, but I must give you this uh, history. There was also the wider Apocrypha. It's considered writings about Old Testament people. But nobody accepted it as inspired scripture. Those books were titled Enoch and the Secrets of Enoch. The Apocalypse of Barak and Second and Third Barak. The Assumption of, uh, of Moses and the Revelation of Moses. The Prophecy of Jeremiah. The Apocalypse of Zephaniah, Elijah, and Esdras. The Sibylline Oracle. The Book of Adam and Eve and the Book of Jubilees. The Testament of Abraham, the Apocalypse of Abraham, the Testament of the Patriarchs, the life of Asenath. I don't know who he is. The Testament of Job and the Testament of Solomon, the book of Noah, the Penitents of Janus and Jambres. You know, I always want to know more about those two. <laughs> but, 
the martyrdom of Isaiah, Psalms of Solomon, 18 Greek Psalms, the addition to the Psalter. So there you're going to get Psalm 151. You didn't know there was a Psalm 51, did you? Well, apparently there is, except there's not. Nobody, nobody considered these books to be inspired scripture. You have three Syriac Psalms. You have the magic book of Moses. You have the story of a hikar. It's a Babylonian folktale about a wise man who was the counselor to King Sennacherib. You have the third and fourth Maccabees. You have the book of Kirk Abbott. That was the book of Jewish maxims. And then you have the, um, the Zadokite fragment. Look, all we need to know about Zadok, we can find in Kings and Chronicles. And even when we go there, we're confused. We don't need more information about Zadok. None of these books were inspired, but that is the list of the books that are considered the wider Apocrypha. Finally, there's a New Testament Apocrypha. And the New Testament Apocryphal books have found their way into some manuscripts and some perverted Bibles. It's the Epistle of Barnabas. The epistle to the Corinthians, the epistle of Clement, the shepherd of Hermas, the Didache, the apocalypse of Peter, Acts of Paul and uh, Thessia, the epistle of the Laodiceans, the gospel of the Hebrews, the epistle of Polycarp, and the epistle of Ignatius. Again, not considered the wider apocrypha. These are grouped in what's called the New Testament apocrypha. And again, non-inspired scripture now we'll finish with this we'll finish with bible i ask you to turn to romans chapter number nine verse number 17 the bible says for the scripture saith unto pharaoh even for this same purpose have i raised thee up that i might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Now, when we read this, is this scripture? The scripture saith unto Pharaoh. It's scripture. And this scripture was said to Pharaoh, uh, saith unto Pharaoh, and we're reading this in what language? English. Except in the Old Testament, was Moses speaking to Pharaoh? Yes. Were they in Egypt? Yes. Do you think he was speaking to him in English? No. He was speaking to him in Egyptian. If he's in Egypt, wouldn't you say so? When it's recorded in the Old Testament, was it recorded in Egyptian or was it recorded in Hebrew? That would be Hebrew. You have a conversation that's going on in Egyptian. In the Old Testament, it's recorded in Hebrew. Paul is speaking it either in Hebrew or Greek. My guess is he's speaking it in Greek. So the conversation that started in Egyptian was recorded in Hebrew is being conversed about in Greek. And to top it off, Paul is speaking these words, and Tertius is writing it down. Get that in Romans 16. 
He writes it in Greek. We have it here. Oh, no. Oh, no. It just can't be. There's just no way it could be preserved in English. It's just, it's just, it comes to a point where you're not going to figure this book out. It's a spiritual book. How do you get some Egyptian to Hebrew to somebody speaking in Greek to somebody else that's going to record it? And now it ends up in English, an authorized version. All the evidence of the world, I don't think, can explain this. The only explanation I have is that God promised to preserve his work. If God's in it, he can take something that was spoken in Egyptian. And by the time it gets to the New Testament and Paul is having Tertius recorded. And by the time it goes through a translation into English, I just don't believe that we lost anything. Because my trust is in God, not in copyists or scribes or translators. My trust is in that God would preserve his word. And I would just end with this. Don't take this book for granted. Read it. Believe it. Obey it. And don't let anybody talk you out of your faith in the Word of God.